Today's scripture reading is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would do this work in us right now. That you would draw us closer to yourself through Christ Jesus. That we would experience the joy of your fellowship. And I pray that you would build your kingdom right now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jill read from the book of Second Corinthians about how God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Think for a second about what that says about our God. Who goes to an enemy and tries to make peace while the enemy is still hostile? God does. That's how great his love is for us. Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, still rebelling, still actively opposed to God. God demonstrated his love for us in the death of Christ. This is what it means that God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. And Paul describes his ministry as an ambassador of the kingdom, as a representative of the king, saying, peace is available through Christ Jesus. Because Christ died on behalf of all of us. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We could be right with God. And that happens as we hear the message preached and proclaimed. And as we by faith believe in the message That's what it means that God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. Paul was doing it 2,000 years ago. And today, that is still how the kingdom of Jesus grows. This morning, we are going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, where this very thing happens. Jesus sends out 72 people, 72 ambassadors of the kingdom... And they preach and they proclaim and the kingdom is built. 
So Jesus commanded it to be done in his day. Paul, a generation later, does the exact same thing. And today, it is still happening. And I want to do something this morning that I actually almost never do. I want to show you a picture on a screen. So this, that young man right there, you can see the back of his head. It's a great picture. His name is David. He is my age, has a wife, has a couple of young kids. He, born and raised in India, is the son of a pastor. And as a young man, he never wanted to do what he's doing right there in that picture. He never wanted to preach. He never wanted to be a pastor. And you know why? Because his dad was a pastor. And if you are a pastor in India, it means you are poor. And he, as a young man, just wanted to provide for a wife and kids. That's all he wanted to do, which is reasonable. That's normal. And David was so opposed to to being a pastor that it's surprising and shocking that he is one today. But he said, as a young man, God gripped his heart and he could not say no. He could not do anything else. So today, he serves small congregations. Being a pastor in India is not like being a pastor in America. They have no buildings. They, they have no places to meet. In fact, I'll tell you a little bit about where they're meeting there in just a second. His day-to-day life involves driving on a moped, going to encourage small groups of Christians. This is not his normal life. This was what he was doing two weeks ago. And in fact, not only is he going to, to preach and pray with small groups of Christians, he's driving around on a moped, and the churches that he ministers to are so poor, they can't even give him enough money to cover the cost of gas for his moped. So he serves, not even breaking even, from the churches that he ministers to. So what is he doing here? What is, what is this picture about? Well, every year, they hold large outreaches, and they are only able to do it when they apply for permits and meet publicly like this. So they are somewhat at the mercy of a government that does not like Christianity. And a few weeks ago, they were planning this and preparing for it. And if you've paid attention to the news, India is not having a great time right now. There are riots all over the country. And so if your country is experiencing riots, you don't want to approve people meeting together in large groups. Because the more people there are, the more potential for trouble there is. So India denied their permit to have this meeting. And they thought they weren't going to be able to do it. Not only did they have the problem not having a permit, but they also had a forecast that said it was going to just thunder and rain all three days that they were planning on doing this meeting. So this is the church's biggest outreach. This is when they preach and proclaim, Jesus died for your sins. God will forgive you. You can be welcomed into his family. You can know God. And they thought, how are we going to do this? We can't do it. And then at the last minute, God moved mountains. He did what only God can do. Their permits were approved. The storm clouds stayed away. And 
thousands came. This is unprecedented. This is the largest group that they had ever seen come and assemble and hear the preaching of the word of God. And not only did thousands come, hundreds of people received Christ Jesus as Savior. Hundreds of people moved from death to life. They were enemies with God before they heard the message and believed, and now they are at peace with God. They are being baptized. They are new believers, and the church is growing. So now his day-to-day life is full of joy because he is ministering to a church that did not exist three weeks ago. And the kingdom is advancing. The kingdom is growing. And I want you to look at that picture because I want you to know that it happens today. And if it can happen in India, it can happen here. And so we're about to see David does exactly what the 72 are going to do in our text today. And I would encourage you to to look at it in a Bible with me. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in, in the seat in front of you. You can grab it. Luke is most of the way through the Bible. It's a large book. So just flip close to the end and look for Luke and then find chapter 10. And we're going to look at chapter 10, verses 1, all the way through verse 24. And we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see messengers sent out. Jesus is sending ambassadors, just like the Apostle Paul described. They're carrying the message of the kingdom. Then we're going to see the joy of their service. We're going to see the joy of their service. They are happy because of what they have done in Christ. And then we're going to see the joy of the Savior. This is maybe one of the most surprising things, that we bring God Almighty in heaven joy when we faithfully serve him. So those are the things that I want us to see today. And to begin with, let's look at the messengers sent out. Now remember, this is a time where Jesus is preparing his followers to continue the ministry without him because he has set his face towards Jerusalem. He knows he's going to die. He is going to be handed over to the elders and they will kill him. And then he will rise from the dead. He will ascend to heaven. And the message of the kingdom is going to depend on the people that he's equipping right now. So as he sends out his messengers, he equips them and he prepares them for a number of things. This is a long section, and I want to read all of it because it's how he sends out the messengers. And then I'm going to say a thing about a couple of different ways that he prepares them. So read with me verse 1 of chapter 10. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one in the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. 
I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Now, there are a number of things in this passage. And I know it was long. So I want to go through and point out a few things. All of this falls under how Jesus sent his messengers out to spread the kingdom of God. And he gives them some very practical instructions for preparation. They've never done this before. They've not been itinerant ministers. And so he is walking them through what they need to take with them and how to handle both acceptance and rejection as they represent him as the king. And so number one, notice their need for prayer. Verses 1 and 2 says, The Lord sends out these 72, and he says to them, verse 2, very clearly, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, just remember what Jesus said in the parable of the sower. Okay, He says, when the sower sows, he's spreading the word of God. And when the word of God, like a seed, is planted in the soil of someone's heart, it can grow into a harvest. So what Jesus is talking about here is people spreading the good news of the kingdom, that your sins can be forgiven, you will be welcomed into a relationship with God where God will rule. And he is telling them that the harvest is plentiful. This is so significant because you and I, when we think about telling people about Jesus constantly feel like we will be rejected. No one is going to listen. No one wants to hear about God. No one wants to hear about Jesus. That people just will not believe. And what Jesus is saying is that the harvest is so plentiful, you can't get the job done. So you urgently need to pray that God sends more people. So we should not be afraid of rejection. Jesus is saying that there is a good chance, a great chance, that some will listen to you. He's not saying everyone. He's going to talk about rejection in just a minute. But the fear that you feel, I believe, is the enemy. It is Satan trying to get you to shut up, trying to prevent you from telling people the good news of Jesus because people have to hear that or they will not be saved. And so Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. Recognize that that's true. That's true in India, in a country that is mostly Hindu. And behind Hindu, there's a number of, of Muslims. The, the, the Islamic faith is growing and spreading in India. And then behind those two, as a distant third, you find a small minority of Christians that are not free. And look at the harvest that he's having in that country. Look at the harvest that's there. And I believe Jesus would say to you today that the harvest in Holly is plentiful. 
So pray, pray for the Lord of the harvest. Now, I actually want to do something right now. Normally, I wait till the end of the message to apply the message. But one of the most important applications that that we get from this text is Jesus says, pray. Jesus says, pray. And, And here's why. He, in just a second, is going to talk about the rejection that happens as you and I proclaim the good news of Jesus and as people like David proclaim the good news of Jesus. David is connected with my buddy Ernesto, because Ernesto served as a missionary in India for a few years before he was the pastor of Flint City Church. And so David was calling him, and and they were rejoicing and just so excited and enthusiastic that they had thousands of people come to this meeting, hundreds of people saved. The church grew just exponentially. And then a few days later, the police came and arrested David. His wife is at home. Kids are at home. Where's daddy? Well, the police came and got him. You know why? Because not everyone is pleased to hear the message of the kingdom. It was true in Jesus' day. It was true for Paul. It was true for David. And it's true for you and I. And Jesus says to you and I, pray. Pray that the Lord will send more people like David. And I just want to take a second and as a church, pray for this man. And be obedient to this verse right here where Jesus says, let's pray. And so here's what I want to do. I want to have one or two people pray, and then I'll pray, and then I'm going to continue with this message. But let's pause and be obedient to the word of God right now. Would one person stand up and pray right now? Go ahead. One more person, and then I'll, I'll, I'll continue. Lord, I thank you for your grace on all of us here. We pray that you, uh, your Holy Spirit, would bless each of us with a big uh, urge to uh, go forth. We pray for David, uh, as mentioned here, that uh, your Holy Spirit would be with his family, that he would be able to, would be enabled to continue in his ministry, that you would continue to Father, you've heard the prayers of your people, and and I just want to add, as we seek to be obedient, Lord, we have an enemy that wants to stop us, and and our enemy is coming against David and his family, and I I ask that you would protect his wife and his kids, that there would not be any bitterness, that you'd give them the strength they need, that you would protect them physically and spiritually, and that you would guard David's heart so that he continues to have courage continues to build the church, and Lord, 
May the church faithfully support him and his family. Bless them in ways that they haven't even asked for. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So number one, as Jesus sends his people out, they're dependent on prayer, both because they can't get the job done and because of the nature of the work. And and both of those things depend on the Lord of the harvest. I think sometimes we don't see results like this in part because we believe that we have what we need and we rely on ourselves instead of recognizing that we need the Lord of the harvest to do this work. And so the first thing that this passage says to us, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. Secondly, think about their preparation. Their preparation, verses 3 through 8 Jesus describes to them, you're not supposed to take anything. In fact, he says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. It's the least encouraging verse in all of scripture. So good. But he's being honest with them. He's sending them out as faithful kingdom representatives in a hostile world that does not love God and does not want the kingdom to spread and grow. You would think he would say, so pack as much money as you can, take your provisions because no one's going to support you. That's what you would expect in a hostile environment. And instead he says, take nothing with you. Take nothing with you. They are to pack light and move fast. They are to spread this good news as far and as wide as possible. And they are to receive provision from the people they are ministering to. Now I want to say just a word because... Thinking about David, the people that he ministers to are too poor to be able to provide for him. And the New Testament shows and describes he does accept gifts from the churches that he serves. But the New Testament shows that when one church has an abundance and another church has a lack, it is good and fitting to be generous with resources So the church here in Flint and the Holly area and a few other churches support his ministry. And that's a good thing. That's a blessing. And he's doing what's right. So Jesus is saying, don't take anything. But as the church is established, as God blesses us, he intends for us to very practically love our brothers and sisters in ministry and spread what God has given to us far and wide. And so he says to us, We are to rely on the people who are ministered to for our income. So I I rely on the church to meet my needs. And that's right. And that's good. And we support the ministry of many people around the world who have devoted themselves to serving the Lord full time. And so the people who receive a spiritual benefit, the people who want to see the kingdom grow, they give and they give generously. And Jesus intended for it to be that way. He instructs the workers to not take their own possessions with them. Then he describes their message in brief in verse 9. He says, Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. Remember, sickness is a result of sin in this world. And as the kingdom breaks in, God is showing as your sins are forgiven, there is health, there is blessing as the kingdom spreads. When God's kingdom is finally established on earth, there's not going to be any sickness. There's not going to be any death. And Jesus is showing as the kingdom breaks out, as he's on earth there, that's what the message of the kingdom is. When you're right with God... 
Everything else is health and peace. So he's telling them to continue to proclaim this message that Satan is crushed, that evil is is ended, and that there is peace and blessing in the kingdom of Jesus. So he tells them don't take anything, tells them proclaim a peace on whoever supports you, or if someone rejects you, to warn them, to shake the dust off your feet and move on. And then he says that there is condemnation for the past cities that have already rejected Christ. And then there is a promise for present obedience. Now read with me. I want to point especially to these verses here. Especially at verse 10 all the way through verse 16. Jesus says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Saying, you've rejected our message, but it doesn't change the truth of it. Verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And Jesus describes a few cities, some of them he has already left, and he has performed miracles in them, and they have rejected his ministry, rejected his preaching. And he mentions these as he sends his 72 out, so that they know there will be some who reject you. And the consequences for rejecting are frightening. Some of you will know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah from the Old Testament. God judged a city that loved its sin and hated righteousness, and God destroyed the city with fire. You may not know as much about Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, they're Phoenician cities. They're, They're a little bit further north in terms of where Israel was. Throughout the Old Testament, they are seen as representative cities for idolatry. And Tyre, in particular, was an island country, or an island city, rather, just off the coast. And they were famous that when an enemy would come, they would flee to the island city, and they'd kind of make faces at the enemy on the beach, because they were untouchable. Until... Alexander the Great came, and Alexander the Great came and looked at them and built a bridge. He built a causeway. He took, he took the destroyed city that was on the beach and shoved all the garbage into the Mediterranean Sea. And think for just a moment what it would have been like to live in Tyre as you see an enemy army building a road. And you have no place to go. And you know that they are going to destroy your walls and murder all of your people. And there is no escape. That fear, that anxiety, that 
inescapable result is what Jesus is describing for someone who has rejected the message of Christ. And specifically, he tells these people, the 72 that he's sending out, he says, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Think about that for just a second. People say today, you know, like if I could see Jesus and I could see him do a miracle, then I'd believe. And Jesus says, no. No. If you reject the message that someone gives you, that's enough. You've rejected him and you are responsible for that. You don't get to pick and choose how God appears to you. Jesus expects us to believe just on the basis of hearing the word. That was true in his day when he walked the earth. That was true when Paul spread the message of the kingdom. And that's true today. You don't need to work a miracle to prove that God is real. You need to faithfully tell people the message that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. God loves you. He wants to be reconciled to you. And we are here to spread that news of forgiveness and peace. And if someone rejects it, There is no hope for their future. And I think it's worth pausing right now to ask, have you accepted or rejected Jesus? This is not something that you put off into the distant future. This is something that you know, either yes or no, I have accepted him or I don't know, or I have rejected him. And if you have not accepted him, Jesus is saying, your future is hell. And there will be no escape when you stand before God in final judgment. And that's not mean and that's not unfair. That is a loving God pleading with you to repent before it's too late. And I would urge you, if you've not believed that Jesus is the Savior, if you've not repented of your sins, do that today and be baptized in obedience to what Jesus says. If you want to be a follower of Christ, I would urge you to settle that today. So that is the 72 being sent out. That's all Christ does to prepare them. He says, pray. He says, you'll be provided for. And he says, don't worry about acceptance or rejection. Some are going to accept. The harvest is plentiful. Some are going to reject. And God will deal with them later. Now notice what happens as they return and the joy of service. Read with me in verse 17. It says, And the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written In heaven. Now, this is kind of surprising. They come back and they are super excited because they've tasted success in ministry. They understand that Satan is subject to Christ, that the power that they receive from Jesus is real and nothing can stop it. And they are thrilled that they've seen results. And Jesus says this thing is kind of surprising. 
He actually says, do not rejoice in this. And I don't think he was saying it was wrong for them to celebrate what God had done, but he's warning them, if your joy is tied in with ministry success, there will be times when your joy will fail. So instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you have peace with God. Know first and foremost how you stand before the Father. And let that be the fountain of your joy. And then you can minister faithfully. When people come to Christ, you won't get an ego. And when you see people reject you and reject Christ, you won't be crushed because your joy is untouchable. It's, it's hidden in Christ with God. So Jesus says, let your joy be in your relationship with God, that you have peace with God through your sins being forgiven. That's so critical. And and, and I think again of David, and and I would ask that you would continue to pray for him. Pray that his joy would be in his relationship with Christ, that he knows that his name is written in heaven, and that as he experiences persecution because some people are coming for him, that he would not be robbed of joy, but that he would rejoice first in knowing Christ so that he's sustained through persecution. And I think the same is true for us. I believe that this kind of thing is possible here in Holly. There are many people who need to know the Lord that don't know him yet. But so much of that depends on God that our joy first needs to be in knowing the Lord and finding peace with the Father. And if that's where our joy is, we can trust God in good times and in bad. So you see the joy of service in verse 17 through verse 20. Now look at the joy of of the Savior, the stunning result that the service of the saints leads to the joy of God Almighty. Look at verse 21 with me. It says, In that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Notice that this section is full of praise. It's like Jesus just burst into song, but without music. I mean, all of us have experienced at times that kind of emotional prayer that comes from fear or grief, where you call out to God. But this is an emotional prayer that comes from joy. From seeing the 72 faithfully carry out their mission, and seeing God Almighty work through that ministry. Jesus loves the Father. And you might say, well, obviously, he's Jesus, and the Father is the Father, so obviously. But it's not obvious. Do you know the reason Jesus loves the Father? Jesus tells you here in this text, it's because the Father is gracious. It's because he's kind. It's because he's generous and full of mercy. Some of these verses, they might seem a little bit confusing. But what is happening is Jesus is praising the Father 
that people are understanding the message of the kingdom as the 72 go out. God is shown to be loving and generous when he reveals the good news of Jesus to those of us who don't deserve his love. We are enemies with God and God in his mercy proclaims a message of peace. The text says that God has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. What does that mean? It is God's judgment on the proud and it's his mercy on those of us who are broken. You know, you and I, we naturally love beautiful people, rich people, some smart people. Smart people can be irritating. Funny people. We don't naturally go out and look for irritating, difficult people who are hard to love to spend all our time with. As much as we want to say we are a loving people, that's not high on our list of things to do. And you all know what I'm talking about. But God the Father is better than you and me. He loved us while we are unlovable. And that's why Jesus is praising him. Because the Father is gracious to people who are humble. People who are like little children, totally dependent on their parents for everything. When we come to God saying, God, I need you, God doesn't turn us away. Like a kind and a merciful Father, he helps. If you come into God thinking that you know all about him and he's lucky to have you on his team, you are lost. But if you come to God knowing your need and ready to listen, you will find forgiveness and mercy. And that's why Jesus is praising the Father. That's part of what it means when we say that we are saved by grace. It means we don't deserve any portion of it. God is the one who mercifully gives you understanding. Not because of anything you do, not because you're smart, certainly not because you're good looking. It's a gift. God in his mercy reveals who he is through Jesus. Jesus, in turn, shows us who the Father is. That was part of his central mission. Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus came so we would know who the Father is. So we need to be humble. And what does it mean to be humble? Well, Luke has already shown us in so many places. Think of the lepers that have no hope in and of themselves. They can't heal their bodies They can't make themselves clean, but they come to Christ and Jesus cleanses them and says, now go to the temple and worship. Think of the the immoral people. The woman that that comes to Christ and the Pharisee looks at her and says, "If, if he really were a prophet, he would have nothing to do with this woman. And instead of being like that, Jesus welcomes her and forgives her sin. The leper and the immoral Those are the people who are humble. They know that they need God. Sinners and tax collectors all come to Jesus and admit their sin and they find healing and grace. Later in this gospel, in Luke, Jesus is going to describe a man who weeps before God and he just says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, this man was justified. That's what it means to be humble, to admit that you need mercy. We are humble when we agree with God about our sin. 
And what is it that God reveals to the humble? God reveals who Jesus is, and in turn, Jesus shows more about who God is. So you are blessed this morning. As Jesus said, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. You are blessed this morning if you know Jesus as your Savior. And your job now is to spread that blessing. To praise our generous and our kind and our merciful God. To go in the assurance that the harvest is plentiful. And to be joyful ever rejoicing that you have peace with God. So, so what do we do with this? As we prepare to, to leave, I always like to give a couple points of application. We've already spent some time in prayer. We've already prayed. That's one point. That's one clear thing. Jesus commands you to pray, so pray. Be specific about when you'll pray. Maybe you'll pray in the morning. Maybe you'll pray over a cup of coffee. Maybe you'll pray with us on Wednesday nights, but be obedient to what Jesus says and pray. Pray that God would give us more laborers. One of the things that I have consistently prayed for our church is that God would bless us with people who love to talk about Jesus. Some people are especially gifted in that. They call them evangelists. Bible says that that God gives them to every church. I don't know who ours is. Fernando Moreno was one, but he died. We need some evangelists in our church. And so I pray that God would give people this gift. Pray that God would give me this gift, that he would give it to you. Don't pray that God would give it to somebody else. Say, God, give me that gift. Prayer is is just one of the things that we see in this text. But more than that, rejoice. Never have an attitude as a Christian that we might lose this thing. That's just not true. God will never lose. He has never retreated. He is not retreating. The kingdom is advancing. And so rejoice. Be confident. Be happy. If you've trusted that the blood of Jesus is the payment for your sins, your name is written in heaven, and you are untouchable, even if they kill you. So rejoice. Also, support the ministry of spreading the kingdom. You can give to missions, you can support people like David, you can support David. If you want to do that, I will tell you how. If you're not currently giving, what I'd like to ask you to do is ask the Lord what he would have you do. I'm not going to tell you what your responsibility or obligation is. I would encourage you, giving is one way that you can spread the kingdom and you will find joy In messages like this. The people that support David, that have prayed, that have given, they are just over the top with joy at what God is doing right now. And if you want to experience that kind of joy, I would encourage you to give. Give to the ministry of our church. Give to a missionary. But Jesus says that those who go are to be provided for from the people who benefit from their ministry. So if you benefit from a ministry... You have an obligation to give. And all I want to ask you to do today is to pray about how much would God have you give. Maybe you should give more than you are. Maybe you should begin to give. Paul says, whatever it is, decide in your heart before you come to service, not in the service, before you come, decide and then give with joy because God loves a cheerful giver. Finally, the last thing that I want to ask you to do today as we apply this passage to our lives, is to go. I've talked a lot about David. Here's the thing. 
David is not a missionary. Not in the way we think of it. He's ministering in his hometown. If God had caused him to be born in Holly, by the grace of God, he'd be doing the same thing here. So when I say go, I want to urge you to be faithful to spread the message of Jesus where you are. And let me ask you, who is someone in your life that you need to share Jesus with? Maybe it's somebody who's heard in the past, but you need to talk about it in a fresh way. Maybe you need to think about giving a book, or maybe you need to think about just telling them how your sins have been forgiven. Maybe you need to invite them to church to hear the gospel. Maybe you don't know what you need to do. And so you should say, Pastor, I want to tell my daughter, or I want to tell my neighbor about Christ, but I don't know how to do it. And we can have a conversation, and maybe I can encourage you, maybe I can help you. But pick who you're going to talk to. Because when I send you out today, I literally want to encourage you to go tell someone about Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. It's still plentiful. Go in confidence and enjoy and spread the good news of Jesus that your sins can be forgiven. Ask people if they are ready to meet King Jesus when he comes back. Uh, Is your family ready? Are your neighbors ready? Who will you tell? I want to urge you to pick one or two people, write a name down in your Bible, be in prayer, and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to talk to this person within a week, maybe two weeks, if you need to talk to me first. But be faithful and go. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we we believe that you are still advancing the kingdom of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would do that here. We have heard your word. Make us faithful to obey it. And in Jesus' name, amen. I want to leave you this morning with a verse from Romans 15 that, that really is a prayer and encourage you to be obedient to whatever God has laid on your heart. Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Go be obedient to the Lord.